It is homecoming at River Tree Canal, Fulton. Welcome to our podcast. It is the first week of our celebration of 10 years as a church, River Tree Canal, Fulton, planted in 2012. And to celebrate this first week, we've brought Al D'Angelo, the founding pastor of our church, back to share with us some of our history and what God has been revealing to him uh, lately. Uh, man, it's just such a word of encouragement for our church. We're so excited. And hey, look, if you've got some time over the next couple of weeks, we've got three more weeks we're going to be celebrating homecoming, including next Sunday, the 25th, bringing in Corey Hunka, the pastor of Third Street in Canton. He's going to join us, a church that we were a part of helping plant. And on October 2nd, we'll have Daniel Donovan from Red Oaks Church, another church planter who's come from our church and helped carry us through really challenging season. And then our fifth, our, our fourth and final week, we will have Thayer Wallace joining us to lead worship, uh, who currently pastors down in Portsmouth. Uh, man, we're just so excited to have this incredible lineup. We'd love to have you join us as we celebrate. So hey, share this, let people know we're celebrating 10 years of God's goodness to us and fighting for the good of our city. So yeah, here's Al D'Angelo. I'm Christy Timmons, the Kids Ministry Director here at River Tree Canal Fulton. Welcome to all of you. Um, in a moment, I have the opportunity to introduce all of you to the founding pastor of River Tree Canal Fulton, Al D'Angelo. But first, I would like to take a few moments to tell you a little bit about Al and how we got here to 10-year celebration of River Tree Canal Fulton. Uh, my family actually met Al and his family uh, right around the time that he started on the journey to planting River Tree Canal Fulton. And we actually didn't know Jesus at the time, but we knew we wanted to. And Al and his family, along with many other families, welcomed us into what they called their Go community, um, which is what we call a village these days. And they uh, met us right where we were. They uh, cared for us. They served us. They loved us. And ultimately, they showed us who Jesus was, which is what the D'Angelos do. They live life with people. They reflect Jesus um, in everything that they do. Over the last 11 years, Al has remained a significant part of my life. He has filled many roles. He's always there when I need him. If I have a question or a need, he um, always answers my calls, which I'm grateful for. But he has been um, a teacher. Uh, he has been my encourager. He's given me challenge when I needed it. Um, he's been my mentor and my boss and my friend and my pastor. And I'm so grateful for everything he has been for me. And I know that we all are incredibly grateful that he planted this church. And that started with what I would assume was a very hard yes to make. And then it was followed by a million other hard yeses, uh, yeses that took him away from his family, that um, disrupted his life, that came out of making a lot of hard decisions. But all of those yeses also brought us to this moment right now, which we're incredibly grateful for. Um, I had the privilege of sitting on the launch team for River Tree Canal Fulton. We have a couple of friends in here that also did. Um, 
sit with me on that team. And we attended many meetings, a variety of meetings with a variety of people. Um, but in every single one of those meetings, one thing was clear. And it was that Al said yes to planting this church because Jesus asked him to join him in spreading the good news. And more specifically, Al has always had a desire for every single person in Canal Fulton and the surrounding cities that they would know that there's a God that loves them and that he wants to have a relationship with them. I've heard Al say it a million times. It's a desire he's had probably longer than I've known him. And Al, I think that because of the way you live your life, the way your family lives their lives, the way that you guys make disciples who make disciples, the work that you have done, the work you continue to do, um, and because this church exists, there are probably thousands of people who know that there's a God who loves them and wants a relationship with them. And we are incredibly grateful for that, aren't we, church? So I'd like you to uh, meet my friend, my pastor, my mentor, um, the founding pastor of River Tree Canal Fulton, Al DeLangelo. Well, that was kind. Not sure who she was talking about. No, Christy Timmons, uh, one of the most beautiful human beings on the planet, if you don't know her. Um, so it's funny, I haven't been nervous to speak in a very long time, but this week, uh, getting ready for this, uh, I had a few butterflies in my stomach, as I feel like there's some things I, I need to do for you this morning that have been very good for my soul, but hopefully will be good for you. I really just want to do two things this morning. Uh, the first is I want to tell some stories uh, of those first few years, two, three, four, five years, the early years. Many of you were with us then, and then I really just want to tell you uh, kind of what God has been teaching me uh, since I stepped off the staff away from River Tree, which has been really sweet as well, almost in the category of things I wish I had known when I was here. So uh, the story of River Tree, um, you might know, begins actually get my iPad open here for a minute. It's been 10 years ago, but the story of River Tree actually started um, quite a bit before that. Uh, you might know this church was planted by River Tree, which formerly was known as a church called Jackson Christian Church. You might have driven by it on your way to Belden Village. Long time. What's that? Yeah, First Christian that was planted by First, uh, sorry, Jackson Christian was planted by First Christian uh, that was over, which is in downtown Canton for a long time now, out on Market Street. But in 1964, that church was planted in the cornfields of Jackson Township. There was no anything that looks like Jackson Township now. It was cornfields, and someone uh, had heard from God, we need to plant a church out there because people are going to live there, and they need to hear about the incredible news of Jesus. So 1964, a bunch of people went that we don't even know anymore, but sacrificed time and money and comfort, and I'm sure lots of friendships, to go plant a church in a three-bedroom house right there next to that building in 1964. The church grew, but then started to suffer, kind of die in 19, in the 80s, 
when uh, Greg Nettle came, who was my friend and boss, long time, uh, so came and actually uh, sort of reoriented the church to think about the world around it as they're, they're the reason that we're here. Like those people out there in their community, they're not against us. They're, we're one of them, and, and we're here for them. Right, and that whole reset, I think God used to start the church growing again, and the church grew very rapidly over there, just in one spot. We we're just there on Portage Street. Um, in we grew to 300, then 700, then 1,000. None of us had ever been in a church of over 250 people. We had no idea what we were doing. We made so many mistakes, and I always say God was so patient with us, as He had to teach us. Uh, to make disciples and to be generous and just all the stuff we should have known, honestly. But the church grew. Um, at Luke 15, which is, a, which is a text we would always go back to a lot, tells that there's three parables in Luke 15, if you haven't read it ever or in a while, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And all three parables are really, they're designed to do really the same basic thing to illustrate the fact that God will go very much out of his way to rescue people who are away from him. Like, that's his heart, that's his spirit, that's his actions, that's exactly what he did in the life of Jesus, and he intends for us to be the same kind of people. We'll kind of do, like, whatever it takes, whatever it costs us to go be with and for people who are away from God. So we were trying to model that same kind of heart, and by 2004... Uh, that church over there. In 2000, we changed the name from Jackson Christian Church to River Tree. Uh, that wouldn't be so geographically uh, isolated. So we changed it to River Tree. That was a painful change, but it was, a, it was for the people around us. But 2004, by that time, we had grown to 3,000 people in that one location. There were five services at one point. We had two on Saturday night, three on Sunday mornings. Uh, weekends were tiring. By the time of the Browns game, I would get home and just lay on the couch and like be a vegetable for like five hours. But we knew something had to change, so we thought the next move was we're going to go build a, a bigger something on a bigger piece of land. We sat down at a table with a realtor. I remember uh, about five of us in the room sitting with this realtor about to sign papers for 80 acres over by Belden Village. We we're going to build a campus of about 10,000 people. And we all just got this really sick feeling in our stomachs. Like, this is not what we're supposed to do. We shouldn't spend this money. We shouldn't be doing it this way. It's time for us to stop expecting people to come to us, and we're supposed to go. So that legacy is sort of what planted that, like, God word is what planted the idea of these campuses. So we planted uh, Maslin Campus in 2005, the Lake Campus in 2006. We sent somebody named Jason Lance, who's currently the River Tree leader. We sent him to Love Canton in 2008 to just, hey, go live like a missionary and see what happens. And all kinds of amazing stories happened then. And then I remember the day we were sitting around the table talking about it's time to plant our next campus. And we're like, oh, well, logically, it seems like Canal Fulton's the place we need to go. And, um, and they're like, well, you know, all the eyes kind of pivoted to me. <laughs> and like, oh, we, we would probably do this if you would go lead it. And I'm like, what? Really? I got this big lump in my throat. Like, I, I'm not the guy who starts stuff. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not a, like, there's all kinds of other people that should be doing this. Like, no, Al, we think you're the guy. Okay, I'll get back to you. <laughs> So I, I had set aside a time to go pray about this. I, I, I know one of the blocks was like a four-hour block. 
uh, in a morning, and I drove to the place, and I had, I had a plan for like how I was going to pray for the four hours. About 20 minutes in, it was all it took. It was like God was telling me like, why are, why are we still talking about this? Because you're supposed to go do this. It was that kind of clarity, even though really I didn't want to, but I knew God was telling us to go do this. And so um, that was 20, probably 2011, I think, Ellie. Um, I still remember how uh, scared that was to go leave the place where I had been. I had been there since 1992, uh, so about 20 years I had been at the Jackson campus, and so uh, we left there, about 75 of us, to come over here to Canal Fulton. Now, we had already been here, but uh, to come over here and start a weekend service was uh, just really, honestly, scary for me. It's, if you look, if you get the God view, I think of what happened, like God using me to start this had to be one of the more miraculous things. Because if you look at my past, I'm not the guy who started anything. I would like come in after somebody started something. Sure, I'll take it over then, but to start something from scratch, that was crazy. And then I feel like what God did was he asked me to do it, and then he, he gave me some extra stuff inside, and then he gave me people around me who were amazing. When Kyle came in, he had stuff that I did not have. Uh, Ellie Moss over there, who was like, her thumbprint was all over the planting of this campus. Incredible um, staff around me. Gary Dolan, many of you know, like in that leadership team, uh, God already had surrounded me. And then all of you, many of you came with us in 2011 and 2012 um, to sacrifice, leave friends, a more mature church, to come start something you didn't know where it was going to go. How, how many of you were here, uh, would you say, at the beginning, like in that summer of 2012? Ish, yeah, crafts back there. God, Jim and D, yeah, the third, my beautiful, the three Bs we would call them. The, yeah, right. So the, that's amazing. Oh, it's so good to see you guys. Yeah. Um, so keep your hands up for a second. I just want. I, I have stories for almost every one of you. I think every one of you. I won't tell them right now, but yeah, so good. And my family back there. I'd, I'd, I'd probably tear up if I talked too long. But Chris and the girls and. Uh, you probably don't know all the stuff they did in the background, actually, and sacrificed. And I mean, in our missional community, our village, we had 50 people in our house every other week for a couple of years in many ways. And so they would end up babysitting and uh, did so much behind the scenes that I'm grateful for. And they probably didn't get to choose all that either. So I probably owe them an apology. <laughs> but all kinds of amazing people that God sent with us to come and do that. So... At the beginning, we had three villages that were here before the campus, and our commitment was we wanted three villages operating somehow, some way, uh, in Canal Fulton before we started weekend services. So we didn't start the church in 2012 in many ways. The church was already here. Um, we just started the weekend services and the campus officially. But the three missional communities, villages, I remember, so we had uh, the one around the kids at risk, right? Was that one of the early ones with the Padanis and you guys? Beautiful situation with Joe and his teaching role and heart for kids. We had a family uh, village. Um, and then I think we had a youth one also with Lauren, Degia and Demerys, I think, at that point. Does that sound right? Yes? No? Okay. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so... 
in every one of those, we could spend time. There's so many God stories inside of those where they were just trying to set out to, let's go be, the, let's go be good news. And then when it's right, let's go share the incredible news of what Jesus has done. That had kind of always been our posture. Let's go be tangible good news. And then whenever God shows somebody's ready, willing, let's go give them the great news of the kingdom. Like that was always our heart and our posture, and we were trying to do that from the beginning. I remember uh, meeting up at Lion's Den Golf Course, if any of you were there, we'd meet up at Lion's Den, uh, in the, not to play golf, we would meet in the pavilion, uh, we would pray, and then we would go, and we would send this before we launched weekend services, we'd go out and drive and walk through every neighborhood of Canal Fulton, praying for the people, praying for God to come, praying for their, them to be open and ready. Then we'd join back up at Lion's Den and talk about what happened or what God had told us. One of the most powerful stories early on that I still remember, uh, Jim Young, back there at the board, um, who if there's like a, a volunteer soul-level heartbeat of River Tree Canal Fulton, it's probably Jim and Dee Young. All right, so Jim walking the streets of your, walking your street, right, Canal Street, um, I think walking your dog and praying for every house on his street. Like he did that faithfully for weeks on end. And only God knows what God did because of those prayers. But that was, an, that was part of the heart that started this campus. Somehow God gave us uh, really incredible favor with the schools, um, with the superintendents, the staff, the teachers, and then that spread out to the school board and the park staff and the town council, local business people. It's like the spirit was opening doorways of opportunities that we did not work for. So it was like we had all these stories of God going ahead of us and giving us almost surprising results for little things that we would do or little conversations we would try to have. Getting into the Puff, Puffenberger Hall is where we used to meet before here in Northwest High School. Getting into that room, that building was a God story in and of itself. We would go talk to other church planters around the country and we would tell them, hey, we're in this auditorium inside of a public high school. And they would go, what? That's unbelievable, right? But God gave us favor there for some reason and it was really, really good. And I'll tell you what was even more important or more extraordinary than the auditorium, is Northwest High School gave us a room to store our stuff in. Like, and if you've never planted a church, you don't know what an incredible thing that is. Because otherwise, that stuff was going to be in a trailer that we were going to have to park somewhere and haul back and forth. All of our sound equipment, all of our classroom materials, everything. And Northwest said, hey, we'll clear this room out. You can have it. It's right beside the puff. Like, unbelievable gift from God. I remember the first time we met Gordon, the head custodian. Uh, we walked into his office, and it did not go well. We walked in there, and he's arm-crossed, real stern-faced, and I was like, uh-oh, this is not going to be good, because Gordon was like the primary person we were going to have to deal with when we used Northwest High School. So we had that conversation. Within the first year, though, Gordon was calling us, asking us what he could do for us. He called us uh, all kinds of times and said, in fact, uh, the one memory I have, you remember, uh, anybody remember the 20-foot screen we had to build every single, my kids are raising their hands, because, so we'd get in there at 7 o'clock, and it was a 20-foot screen in, in three bags, I think, 
had to build the entire frame. You had to stretch the screen over it. Like it was, you know, it was 20, 30 minutes of work. The most brutal part was walking back in the puff after you had said goodbye to everyone else and walking in there and going, oh, crap. We got to tear that screen apart, right? So we'd walk in there and have to tear it down. So one day, Gordon calls us on the phone. He goes, hey, I got an idea. I think we can hang that screen from up in the rigging of, a, of the theater equipment up there. He's like, I'll hang it. I'll buy two motors. You'll never have to put it together again. Like, oh my gosh. Like, we, we could have given Gordon a big hug and a kiss that day. So just a lot of favor that we were so grateful God had been ahead of us and beside us and before us. I think we had spiritual conversations over three or four years with almost every custodian in that building and guys that we loved, Gordon and Jim and Michael and a couple other guys. I mean, really, like, great favor around us. I remember at the beginning where Ellie and I were exchanging some conversations this week of being at school, we would do, school year, we would do Sunday services uh, outside at the pavilion in front of Stinson uh, School. Remember that, right? So we'd go out there, we'd actually, the, the entire thing would be out there, we'd set up a little bit of sound, do a little conversation. But then what we do is we got to go pray inside of every single classroom in every building of Northwest. And again, just step back and think how amazing that is that we got to do that. We don't know how. So we'd drop off notes and gifts for the teacher, pray for every building. Uh, we'd come back, and then we'd, uh, all the kids would write down prayers, put them on a balloon. Those were uh, powerful days and some of the defining moments that started this campus. Leadership and volunteer staff meetings. I remember at the Gracie Ann's restaurant right down here that unfortunately had to close, but Wendy, the owner, was like a sweet person of peace for us. Like God had given us so much favor with her. Um, she was incredibly kind, generous. We got to pray with her on multiple occasions. Um, such a sweetheart. Um, we then eventually built a go-co around kids with special needs with uh, the crafts and the bears, uh, amazing. And then at one point, I can't remember the timeline of this, but Matt and Christy Timmons were dreaming of a village that would be built around a community garden, right? It's like, hey, what if we had a village that was built around a community garden? And the problem was we had no place to put it. We're like, well, we need some land. We got no land. And then I don't remember the timing of this, but I remember Bill and Sue Pollard uh, showing up at River Tree weekends, and Bill pulls me aside one day, and he goes, hey, he goes, we own this land right outside of town. He's like, if you can ever do anything with it, just let me know. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, incredible. And for multiple years, that goat community ran that community garden around there that was generous and built relationships, and it was amazing. Some of, uh, you might remember, and I had forgotten this, I actually found this uh, just this morning. I was digging back into some old stuff. We canceled weekend services inside the first two months we planted. And if you know anything about church planting, that's like unheard of. Like you don't ever cancel weekends because you lose momentum. But we decided what God had asked us to do in this town was to be generous and to go. And so we shut down our weekends. We gathered in the parking lot, about 130 of us, and we prayed. And I actually wrote an article for one of my friends about this. I'm going to just read you real quick to it. Um, it says, we spent October 14th, 2012, out in the community being the church. The first go, the first go Sunday, we would do those then from uh, for years afterwards. Each village chose a way to serve the network or neighborhood they were already going for and invited people to join them. 
130 people gathered, took communion in the parking lot of the school, and then went. We had parties for special needs kids, for children at risk, dropping out of the school. We created jewelry gifts for women who are victims of violence in local shelters. We did oil changes for single parents, played with their kids, celebrated some of the employees of the school district that we serve, did landscaping work, prayed for our schools and communities. Like we did that in the first two months we were here. And it became the defining part of kind of who we were sent to be. We had 23 baptisms, I think, in the first two years, Christy reminded us. Uh, and we would do that by filling and heating water in the cafeteria of Northwest High School, right? Lots of mats down, lots of work, lots of pumps. Ellie was talking about meeting in the tiny front corner in front of the speakeasy. Before we did the speakeasy, there was a, there was a thing in the front there. I think it was a massage place. It was legit. It was like a legit massage place, but we rented it and then had it. Uh, we would do meetings there, uh, coffee and that kind of thing. And then there was a laundromat behind there. Right, And so we had, uh, that was great already, and then God gave us the opportunity to open the speakeasy, like this intentional third space. Colin Vicky put a ton of work into it, and our posture was, we didn't want a place for us, we wanted a place for the community, like to have great conversations, either really, like, hey, we're just going to talk about a great ride on the towpath, or we're going to have a deep conversation about Jesus. Whatever you're ready for, we'll try to be ready. And that was an incredible part of the history, sort of, of this campus so many more good stories, and I encourage you to remember them and tell them if you can. And there was pain, too. We can't even pretend that there wasn't. Um, stress from time in the puff, dealing with things like musicals <laughs> and wrestling season, or wrestling season that seemed to never end. It was like, it seemed like wrestling season was like nine months of the year. We did like the noodles, however. They would cook noodles for the concession stand that were amazing. Fatigue from setting up and tearing down 7 a.m. to noon every Sunday. Again, Jim Young, uh, unbelievable what he's been through and done for this campus. Um, his wife, Dee, like, there's just so many people to talk about. But um, challenge of the practical realities of villages. They're messy when you do them. That's, that was a challenge for us. We didn't know that. My own leadership mistakes and shortcomings. I didn't know what I was doing either. Uh, God used it with some painful staff issues, some division that came out of it. Certainly, the last 10 years has not been all rosy. But one of the things that God has done with me, um, there's, a, there's a line in the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. And he meets his brothers uh, for the first time in years. His brothers who had tied him up, thrown him in a pit, and sold him to Pharaoh as a slave. He meets those brothers years later. And you'd think he'd be waiting behind the corner to kill them all. But he ends up talking to them and he said, it's okay. He said, you intended all that for my harm, but God used it for my good. Right? And I have no doubt that's what happens and what God is doing with this campus and has done. So for just a few more minutes, I, I want to tell you what God has been teaching me since I stepped out of my river tree role and um, some of it started, I think, when I was here, but it's almost in the category of things I wish I had known when I was here. And I guess part of me is I, I want to apologize because I, I wish I had known this. I feel like I should have known it as a pastor. But all I can give you today is uh, what the Lord has been giving me. And sometimes when I talk about this, I tear up, so I apologize if I do. But 
somebody once said, Christians sharing the great news of the kingdom with the world is like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And that's the way I feel now. Like I'm just one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find bread. So here, here's my fresh bread, I would say. And this fresh meaning like the last two or three years. Jesus' most common phrase that he uses in the New Testament is something around the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God is near. Do you ever remember reading or hearing that phrase? He would say, and this is what John the Baptist said when he was out preparing the way for Jesus. Kingdom, repent, the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. It's, it's available. Luke 10, we used to talk about Luke 10 all the time when we were planting this campus. It was so pivotal, still is. It's when Jesus sends out the 70 in the towns and villages and they go out and they're supposed to find a man of peace, a person of peace, somebody who welcomes them and sort of almost sees Jesus in them. And then his instructions to them, when you find that person, he says, go uh, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. What in the world does that mean? And I'll be honest with you, it, it was not super clear for me. It really never sunk in what Jesus was talking about, and, and almost, I would say, what is the grand invitation of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's available. People that think that what Jesus was talking about was going to heaven when you die. And that's certainly part of it, but that's not the center of it. It's not even the most important part, really. The kingdom is a place where God's kingdom is a place where what God wants actually happens, where God is being trusted and relied on for results. You could call it the with God life. The kingdom is available and near. That kind of life is now available. Eternal life, when the New Testament talks about it, it's not even really uh, about time. It's really about a quality and kind of life. Time is included in there. Um, it's a kind of life where God is in his correct place of care and leadership, where he is the shepherd leader. John 17, 3 says, now this is eternal life. Look at this. This is the only place eternal life is ever defined. This is eternal life, that they may know you. Isn't that interesting? The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's really the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, right? You hear this read in funerals all the time. It's not just meant for a funeral. In fact, it's more meant for your actual life as a, a grand invitation for the way you and I are invited to live as if the Lord is our shepherd. Lord is my shepherd. I have no lack. I don't need one other thing. Paul would say something very similar in Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ. It's the same experience. The Lord is my shepherd, I have no lack. I can do all things through Christ. David and Paul are saying the same thing. That's the invitation that Jesus is dying and dies to give us. So the message, the kingdom of God is available. It's now, it's the with God life where he will take every, care of everything, including your eternity, including your sins. That is all part of the deal. But this with God life is the grand invitation. So when, when Jesus dies to repair your and my relationship with God, that's now what's available to us is this Lord is my shepherd kind of relationship. So when, when Jesus 
and John both say, repent. Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Wake up. Like, open your eyes. There's a new way available to live. Reconsider everything about the way you're living and thinking. Somebody, some, something almost unbelievable is now available. Our family would say 2017 through 2020 were some of the most, well, easily the most difficult years of our entire family's life. Chris's cancer, losing one of our best friends, both my parents dying, difficult staff issues here. And in that couple of years, really 2021, God led me to a couple of books that were, I I don't even know how to describe how life-changing they were, but God actually used them to talk to me about what I'm talking to you with right now. The two books were uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by a guy named Pete Scazzaro that Chris and I actually got to meet the year before I even read his book. And then another book called Life Without Lack by Dallas Willard, all about the 23rd Psalm. And the two books have almost nothing in common, except one of the things they have in common is they both use the story of Job from the Old Testament as an anchor point. And I'm telling you, so I went to Bible college in 88 to 92, and probably 1991 is about the last time I spent a lot of time in the book of Job. Like, really. I hadn't really touched it other than a few verses here and there. But the incredible truth is you can look at the story of Job, the progression of his trust in God as this great eye-opening story of God's invitation, I think. So early on, you you take that Job is a, he's a wealthy man, lives in the Middle East, a real person. God talks about him as his, one of uh, a man who he loves and appreciates and who honors God with his life and prays for his kids. It's like all good. And the phrase used to talk about that stage of Job's life and faith is it's called the faith of propriety. We kind of have this arrangement with God. It's kind of unspoken. It's God, I'll be, I'll be faithful to you. I'll kind of, you know, I'll do my thing. I'll go to church. I'll give money. I'll be generous. This is not a negative thing, but it's kind of like this arrangement. God, I'll be faithful to you, and you'll do your part of protecting me, bless me, keep, keep really bad stuff out of my life. We'll kind of have that arrangement, which seems like the where, God, where Job was in that first part. And then, If you know the story of Job, God allows all of it to be taken away, family, health, money, and now Job is in this next move, and we would call this the faith of desperation. And it's almost the posture, if you read read what Job says in there, it's like almost like, hey, God, I don't even like this. I hate this. This is awful. In fact, he's like, I wish my life would end. Um, And it's the posture with God of like, hey, God, I thought we had a deal. I would kind of do my thing, and then you would protect me. And he says, what I had feared has now happened. And what he feared was God taking away his, the protection of his life circumstances. And so that's taken away. And now Job's prayers are something like, God, you're, I don't even like it, but you're all I have left. You're the only rope hanging off this cliff. There is nothing else. I wish there was something else. I wish life was better. I wish we were back to where we were. But all I've got left is you. I don't even like it. And then Job moves over to what, what we call the faith of sufficiency. It's almost like Job makes this move. He has, there's a phrase in there where he talks about, he says, my, my ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. And he moves over to this faith of sufficiency. So it's like almost, he's, he's able to say to God, oh, you're not just all I have left. 
you're actually all I need. You're sufficient. My shepherd, I have no lack. In Christ, I can do all things. Like faith of sufficiency where you're like, I don't have to be afraid of anything anymore because the Lord is my shepherd. Faith of sufficiency. My ears had heard about you. Now my eyes have seen you. And in a miniature way, I feel like that's what's been happening to me, what God has been teaching me since I left here. I feel like a kindergartner over in that faith of sufficiency where like I'm really able to start saying in the depth of my soul, like I now see you as sufficient. Like I'm not fully mature in that by any stretch, but like I can see it now and I'm starting to get it and I sure wish I had it when I was here. One of the painful things, I think if you go back and do the, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of good stuff to my legacy, but one of the painful things was I think I sent us out of here too quickly before we sat and knew the Lord as sufficient or for more of us to know that really well. Because in our hearts and in the New Testament and in God's dream, I think that's what we're trying to give away to the world. It's not moral people living moral lives. We're trying to give away this. There's an invitation out there for the with God life, for anybody who wants it. Jesus paid for it. You can live as if the Lord is your shepherd. He's sufficient. He's your treasure. He's all you need. You have no lack, nothing to prove, nothing to hide, nothing to fear. You can live that way. That's what we're trying to give away. But it's tough to give it away if we don't have it. And I wish I had spent more time um, helping us get there. And I pray, it's not that any of those stages is negative, and really the Lord has to be the one deciding when he's going to give you what? Faith of propriety, faith of desperation, faith of sufficiency. But my prayer is that you'll be moving down that path, and you'll pray that way, so that you will know in the depth of your soul, not just, oh, I'm supposed to go be good news to my town. I'm supposed to go be good news to my town, because I might get the chance to introduce them to my father, who's my shepherd, and all I actually need. And he could be that for them too. That's what I wish I had known when I was here. But it's sweet. Um, and I should have known it, you would think, as a pastor for a long time. But you can, you can be leading in a local church and, and get to the spot where you think what you're actually doing inside the walls of the building or just with this group of people is the hot center of what God's doing in the world. But what he's after is that kind of relationship with every person you lock eyes with, no matter where you are. If you're in here, if you're in Giant Eagle, you're in the hardware store, you're in our new tractor supply next year. Like, that's God's dream. And so, I love that I have it now, and, and you might wonder what I'm doing now. Uh, what I do is actually, you might not have known this, but I was doing this part-time when I was here, we had this, it was part of my role at Rivertree where I was leading at Rivertree still, but also out in organizations, businesses, nonprofits, school districts. Um, I teach leadership, teamwork, but the best way to talk about it is I help, help organizations learn how to unlock the potential of their people. And the way I do that, I get to go in and teach people the personality wiring that God gave them at birth, whether they believe in him or not. It's amazing. It's so fun. So I get to go into rooms and people and go, hey, let me, let me see if I can figure out what God gave you at birth and what that means and what's going to be really good out of you and what's going to be your weak spots. And then, so I get to, I really get to go live like a missionary. I'm in all these places I never would have been. 
talking to people about all kinds of really significant stuff. And then I'm just praying when I'm out there. I'm like, God, who's, like, who are people of peace here? Who do you want me to have a deeper conversation with? And I just try to listen and do whatever I'm supposed to do. And it's sweet. But that's really what anybody who calls themselves a Christ follower is here to do. Like go out in your ordinary life, be good news, and look for times to talk to people about the incredible news of Jesus where he died, he lived and died and rose again to pay the price for that Lord is my shepherd, Father in heaven relationship available to the world. All right? So whatever else you're called to do, I know you're called to do that as a Christian, a Christ follower. Go tell the world the incredible news of grace. Like, this is not about giving away food or going to do nice things for people. Those are great, and we need to keep doing them. That's the good news. But the great news is there's a God in heaven who's, who's not waiting to get you. He's waiting for you to come to him. Amen. The grand invitation, and it's not just go to heaven when you die. It's the with God life available now that rolls on into eternity. So I pray that for you, and we together pray that for this entire town and the surrounding communities. Like, let's go give that away. Let's go seek it ourselves, and let, then let's go give it away. So thankful to have been here this morning and the time with you, and uh, that God asked me uh, to lead this um, 10 years ago, and that I said yes. Uh, it was painful. And it was great at the same time. And uh, thanks for the time this morning. I'd love to pray for us, if we could. Father, I am, uh, you know, I was very reluctant back in 2011. But I also knew you had set me up to do this. You had asked me to do it. And then you... You took all of my weaknesses and uh, provided extra things, surrounded me with great people. And man, you did a lot in this town already. We thank you for the chance to work alongside of you for those early years of great memories and stories where you were ahead of us and behind us and beside of us. And the way you've uh, taking, taken things that were really intended by the enemy for our harm and work them for our good. So together we pray uh, for all of us in this room. God, I pray that we would move closer to the, um, the kind of relationship with you where you're actually our shepherd, leader, master, king, and we trust you. Trust your grace that we don't have to perform for you. We don't need one other thing. I pray that we would get uh, deeper and deeper into that so we're so secure we can go out into the world and just give ourselves away because we're not trying to get anything from anyone. We pray that that's what we're giving away is this relationship with you open to the entire world because of what you did. I thank you for this room of people. I pray that we would know um, you and that we would know the life you have for us to go give that away. Father, thanks for the chance to be in this town and work alongside of you. We all thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
every week we um, have the option